Hashtag Fire Fauci trends on Twitter, and the nation erupts in bipartisan outrage over Anthony Fauci's newest scandal, funding puppy torture experiments. But such bipartisan unity was nowhere to be found when in June of this year, we learned that Fauci funds scalping the heads of late-term aborted babies to create humanized mice. Chesterton once warned us that wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. What are we to say about a country that is more angry over the abuse of beagles than babies? And what does this mean for the future of America? I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs> Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Please give the show a rating and review. It really helps us. If you're new to the show or if you've been enjoying it and haven't done so yet, would you do that? Click five stars. Write a little rating, uh, review rather. Let us know what you think. Um, unless you're a nasty troll, in which case, whatever. We don't really care. Uh, you'll help expose us, I guess, more anyways. But that really helps us climb up the rating ladders, expose this content to more people, especially in an informational digital age where people feel more disgruntled with the... Uh, information um, wars than ever before. People just don't feel confident on where to get reliable data that they know that they can trust, especially when all the fact checkers um, are usually just partisan actors um, using uh, science as a way to justify and promulgate their political agenda. And you know, we want to talk about the things that really matter on this show and why we're in the position that we're in, which is because we've refused to protect the preborn child. And so we've been um, sowing bloodshed in the womb and now we're reaping it in the streets. And so much of the consequences of what we're seeing happening in our country right now, I believe as a Christian, is really part of the judgment of God for what we have allowed in the womb and the slaughter of the pre-born, and therefore the deterioration of all of our other natural rights. That's what we want to talk about on this show and how you can be equipped to stand in a culture of death um, to fight for a culture of life. So if that matters to you, leave us a rating and review. Subscribe at YouTube as well. So uh, you may have heard the story recently. Last week, the nation erupts in bipartisan outrage over Fauci's puppy torture experiments. The New York Post on October 27th reporting that a bombshell report from the watchdog group White Coat Waste Project claimed that the agency spent $1.68 million in taxpayer funds on drug tests on 44 Beagle puppies. Um, and there's this uh, great blog called Kerfuffle uh, written by Leeton Woodhouse on October 24th that gives a good just breakdown of some of the major facts from this. So let me just read you a little bit of this so you get the, the larger picture of what's happening. Um, but it, it's apparent actually that Fauci's been behind um, animal uh, torture and experiments for actually quite some time. We'll get into the moral questions at um, issue here, but let's just give you the basic information behind the story. So the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the division of the National Institutes of Health run by Fauci, funded a recent experiment in Tunisia in which lab technicians, and here's a picture, placed sedated beagles heads in mesh cages and allowed starved sand flies to feast on them alive. Then they repeated the test outdoors with the beagles placed in cages in the desert overnight for nine consecutive nights in an area of Tunisia where sand flies were abundant. Um, and ZVL, the disease caused by the parasite that the sand flies carry, was endemic. The White Coast Waste Project, a nonprofit that advocates against federal animal testing, says that more than 1,100 dogs are experimented on in federal labs annually. In 2019, NIAID paid $1.6 million to inject and force-feed toxic drugs to 44 beagle puppies before killing them and cutting them open. The NIAID paid for the dogs to undergo cordectomy, also known as debarking, which is when the dog's vocal cords are severed so that the lab technicians don't have to hear them cry and howl in distress. The purpose of the experiment was to generate data on the drug to, quote, support application to the Food and Drug Administration, even though the FDA expressly, quote, does not mandate that human drugs be studied in dogs. Okay, so that's sort of your um, overview of what's happening in this story. And the nation erupted in rage. You had hashtag Fire Fauci uh, trending on Twitter. Also, there was a hashtag Fauci lied, dogs died. A bipartisan group of lawmakers even penned a letter to Fauci, as well as the NIH, and said, quote, they expressed grave concern about the reports of costly, cruel, and unnecessary taxpayer-funded experiments 
on dogs. Now, before we get into the sort of larger moral conversation here, um, the point that I think should be made at the front is that while animals don't have rights that we do because they're not persons, there is something kind of disturbing, isn't there, about unnecessarily harming, in intentionally inflicting harm and pain upon animals, um, even if there is a perception of good from it. Now, I don't believe animals have rights, okay? So I don't believe that this is a moral wrong in the way that torturing your toddler is a moral wrong. But I think, as Lewis makes the point, that abusing and torturing animals, it actually sort of calluses your own soul and respect towards life. So it's more of a utilitarian um, approach to this argument in that it kind of deadens us more as human beings as being unfeeling towards sentient creatures that can feel pain. Not necessarily that it's this great moral wrong and stain on the country. That would be what abortion is because persons have rights and animals don't. But that's not good. You know, it's like, don't torture the dog, man, all right? Like, and obviously it is disturbing, right? We don't want to unnecessarily harm um, dogs, even if there maybe even if there is a, a small benefit from it. Now, if torturing dogs is necessary to find some great solution to cancer, I've got no problem torturing the dogs if that's the only way to find some great cure in order to to um, cure human beings who are persons with rights. But unnecessarily doing it, especially when there's no real benefit, um, I would say it's not very nice. Don't do that. It deadens your own soul. Don't, don't, don't harm the dog, okay? But we'll get into the bigger moral conversation in that in just one second. But the, 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 the ludicrous nature of this story has less to do with the abuse of the dogs and more to do with the unequal levels of outrage in regards to experiments on life, on uh, human life versus dog life. I covered this back in June, if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, and I reference it frequently when I speak publicly about Fauci as the high priest of secular progressivism, because there was no bipartisan unified outrage when in June of this year, the Center for Medical Progress released a video detailing research in which infants' remains are harvested from abortions at Planned Parenthood and given to the University of Pittsburgh. The University of Pittsburgh then scalps the heads of 20 to 24 week old late term aborted babies, inserts their scalps subcutaneously on lab rats to create humanized mice so that those rats grow the infant human hair that would have grown on the head of that infant had they not been aborted. These humanized mice are then used to test biological drugs and solutions to staph infections. So the baby becomes a sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life. And guess who funds this? The National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Disease Office at the NIH, which is headed up by Dr. Frankenstein Fauci. Now notice, Fauci won't perform these experiments himself, right? You know, uh, he's too important to do that. He'll just have others do it instead. Sort of like um, Joseph Mengel, the Nazi quote-unquote angel of death doctor who performed, oversaw, and commanded some of the most heinous attacks, abuse, and quote-unquote experiments on Jews, children, and twins in order to pursue certain scientific advancements and solutions to apply to the fit Aryan race, who of course they claimed were real persons, unlike those Untermensch subhuman Jews. Similar to Mengel, most scientists like Mengel at work in the concentration camps simply enlisted the aid of trained medical professionals to perform the more grisly, mundane tasks and to carry out autopsies upon his dead victims. And Fauci seems to really be gunning for that type of Mengel reputation. On May 4th, the Center for Medical Progress founder David Daleiden testified before the Pennsylvania Health Committee and said that it's a matter of public record that there are horrific abuses of aborted infants taking place in Pennsylvania through the extensive fetal experimentation programs at the taxpayer-funded University of Pittsburgh. 
In a recent study, Pitt scientists described scalping five-month-old aborted babies and grafting their scalps onto the back of lab rats to keep them growing. In the study, you can see the pictures of little baby scalps growing tiny baby hairs on the back of lab rats and lab mice. Each of those scalps represents a little Pennsylvania baby who would have grown those little hairs on their head if they had not been killed by abortion for experiments with rodents. Starting in 2016, Pitt received a $1.4 million grant from the NIH to become a distribution hub for aborted fetal kidneys and bladders and other organs in the NIH's Genitorinary Development Mapping Atlas program. Pitt's grant application for this grant from the NIH states that the university has a unique access to a large number of high-quality aborted fetuses and can ramp up delivery of abortion fetal body parts across the country. Okay, so this is documented. We have this. This was reported through their investigative report and video report. It's all documented through a Freedom of Information Act as well. We have the pictures and the evidence, and yet very little to no bipartisan outrage at these grisly medical experiments against actual humans, persons, babies. What does this say about us as a society? Well, some fake conservatives, squishy pro-lifers, and even pro-aborts, they say that these are different, right? They say, Seth, that's different, okay? Because, you know, the babies were already dead. You know, they were already dead. And so, listen, you know, I might hate abortion too, Seth, and I want it to end. But, you know, since we haven't ended abortion yet, what's wrong with using the, the sadly murdered babies towards good ends? They're already dead. The puppies were alive. That's why that was different. They were torturing live, sentient beings, whereas the baby is a dead, unsentient cadaver. So you, that's why it's different. That's why the Fauci funding baby scalping, that's, that's okay. But puppy torture, that's, that's very wrong. Well, let me ask you something. What if instead of aborted unborn babies, the University of Pittsburgh was purchasing the bodies of black Americans killed through gang violence or murdered by white police officers immediately after their death, getting their cadavers as fresh as possible, and then mutilating George Floyd and others in order to create black humanized mice to test biological drugs for use for staph infections? Um, hmm. Do you think um, Black Lives Matter Incorporated um, or Kamala Harris or the Democratic Party or the liberal regime would have anything negative to say about that? Oh my gosh, they would be screaming bloody murder. They would be accusing Fauci and the University of Pittsburgh for being actual KKK members reincarnated today. And they would be using the word Nazi every third word in their sentences, critiquing people involved with this. But, but the black men were already dead. Right, we're just using their cadavers to forward the scientific regime and experiments to lead us into the progressive utopian future of secular progressivism. They're already dead. What's the big deal? We all know that they would lose their ever-loving minds, right? Now, that would disturb you. That would disturb them. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you about our numbness towards using the mutilated bodies of aborted babies? and our very <laughs> awoke reaction and anger, and maybe righteous anger, towards desecrating, mutilating, and mistreating the dead bodies of born people. And of course, I just use sort of black America as an example because of the obsession in our country with ending systemic racism my point is we know how much more frustrated these people who approve of mutilating aborted babies, um, how much more frustrated and angry they would be towards mutilating the bodies of born dead black Americans. So we have to sort of examine this question really quickly. Why is this wrong? Maybe you're confused about this. I think we should ask the question, why is fetal tissue research wrong or dead baby mutilation? Why should we say that mutilating the bodies of recently aborted babies through fetal tissue research, fetal organ harvesting, and everything happening at the University of Pittsburgh and through other labs across the country as well. Why is this a moral wrong? And why is it, of course, then more wrong 
than mistreating puppies or dogs. Well, fetal tissue research or fetal organ harvesting or just dead baby mutilation is wrong for four reasons. So listen to this. This is important for the squishy pro-lifers and these are libertarians who say they're kind of pro-life, but you know, the babies are already dead, so let's just use them for scientific experimentation. Well, firstly, you must kill the baby to get its tissue or its parts, right? You have to kill the baby. If the unborn is a human person, killing her to benefit others is a clear-cut evil. It treats a distinct human being with inestimable worth as nothing more than a commodity that can be sacrificed on the improvement of your quality of life for those who weren't aborted. Secondly, it's wrong because evil means are used to secure a good end. Evil means are used to secure a good end. Accepting baby body parts obtained through elective abortion makes one an accomplice to a crime after the fact, right? You, you are participating in a larger evil means by using the body parts that were secured through those evil means. Now, that's different than adult organ dona donation, right? Which is voluntary and a person gives their organ or a person who marks on their, their license that, that they will allow their organs to be given to others after they're killed accidentally in a car crash or murdered or something like that, right? This is different because evil means are used to secure a quote-unquote good end. Here's a thought experiment. Consider a case where a hospital becomes the beneficiary of a gang of killers who supply it with fresh cadavers. Um, they're working with a gang who are murdering innocent human beings. And, but don't worry, they're not involved with the killing. They're just getting the cadavers, and they're using the cadavers of people killed by gang members in order to perform experiments. And don't worry, it's all about science and leading us into the pro progressive future. And we can get a lot of good information by um, autopsies and experimenting on these people. Would you question the moral appropriateness of the hospital continuing cooperation with the suppliers, the gang? Of course you would. By the way, German doctors who were convicted at the Nuremberg trials passionately argued that they were only using the brains of Jews for the greater good. It was the SS troops who, who did the killing, not us. We were just the doctors. We were just using what they gave us. These physicians even believed that they had a moral imperative to make good use of the bodies the SS troops supplied them with. Right? They weren't involved with the killing. Right? But evil means were used to secure a quote-unquote good end. Um, and so it makes you an accomplice to the crime after the fact. But the court at Nuremberg rejected these claims. And today, you can hardly find a peer-reviewed journal in existence that will publish the results from the Nazi experiments because of the nature of the crimes committed. The third reason fetal tissue research or organ harvesting is wrong is it creates a market for the evil means. What's the evil means? Abortion. How do you get the dead babies? Abortion. So if you want to continue getting their organs, don't worry, the baby's already dead, right? Their organs, their tissue to perform experiments, the babies have to be killed first, right? So it creates this market for killing babies. Unwanted babies are the first market the abortion industry profits off of. Fetal tissue research creates an additional market for the abortion industry, selling the bodies of the babies they kill. So this only grows, strengthens, and empowers the abortion industry who are the practitioners of killing babies. And the fourth reason why fetal tissue research or fetal organ harvesting and everything that Fauci funds at the University of Pittsburgh is wrong is because it communicates that abortion can be a moral good. It will communicate to some women that killing their unborn child redeems their desperate situation. So, you know, if they're feeling like they need to get an abortion because of the position they're in, and then they're they're jumping back and forth regarding the moral appropriateness of abortion. And maybe they're starting to, to contemplate choosing life over abortion. And then in their desperate, quote-unquote, desperate situation where they feel like they have to kill their baby through an abortion, they're told, hey, listen, actually, your baby's body can be used to benefit others. That throws in a very complex psychological curveball into her decision. Scott Klusendorf puts this beautifully. He says, the prospect of redeeming an abortion to provide tissue for someone else throws a powerful motivation into a psychologically complex situation. In fact, there was a 1995 study by the Joint Center for Bioethics at the University of Toronto and found that among women who would consider abortion, 17% would be more likely to have an abortion if fetal tissue could be donated for medical use. Let me say that again. 
among women who were already considering abortion, 17% said they'd be more likely to kill their baby if their baby's tissue could be donated for medical use. To my point, it throws in a psychologically complex curveball that communicates to them that there can be a redemptive aspect to their abortion, which will only encourage them to choose that abortion. And at around 1 million abortions a year in America, a 17% increase would be catastrophic. Therefore, allowing for and celebrating the benefits of fetal tissue research has a direct impact on the abortion increase. So those are the four reasons why fetal tissue research or fetal organ harvesting is wrong. You must kill the baby to get their parts. Evil means are used to secure a good end. It creates an evil market for the evil means. And it communicates that abortion can be a moral good. This is why we must stand against this. This is why everything that... Fauci is funding at the University of Pittsburgh, and that's happening throughout the country, with desecrating the bodies of aborted children is immoral, wrong, and evil, and why we must stand against it. But the culture has no sense of that. Hence the unequal, unequal outrage of, of cries for fire Fauci over puppy torture, um, but no such cries for firing him because of what he funds in desecrating the bodies and scalping the bodies of recently aborted babies. So next, we're going to discuss what all this madness says about us as a people. <laughs> okay, let's do some, some cultural commentary about what this says about us as a people, uh, where we're headed, and some of the consequences in valuing the lives of animals over human beings. But first, I want to share an exciting announcement with you. This January, I'm hosting a huge pro-life conference for the church in California, for Christians. Now, anyone's welcome, and if you want to travel out of state, you're welcome as well, but we're reserving most of it for California. We want people traveling from across California. It's called Love Life California, and we will be having some phenomenal guest speakers, such as Pastor Jack Hibbs, Kurt Cameron, Dr. Anthony Levitino, the former abortionist, Melissa Odin, an abortion survivor, Monica Klein, who we just had on the show last week, the former Planned Parenthood sex educator, and Justin Reeder, the founder and president of Love Life, myself and others, to um, commit ourselves to putting a smile on the face of God by turning from abortion as the church in California. Because you know they say what happens in California doesn't stay in California. But unfortunately, that's always been applied to wickedness, meaning that the wicked things that start here don't stay here. We want to redeem that phrase so that what happens here for righteousness will spread across the country. And so we, we are opening this conference to any of you in California to get educated, equipped, and encouraged to stand and give you a game plan to go back to your communities to end abortion. We will have breakout sessions, main stage sessions, everything focused on equipping you to stand in this kairos and propitious moment so that people will stop running to abortion centers and start running to the Church of Jesus Christ. Over two-thirds of abortion centers in California are void of a consistent Christian witness. It's time to change that. It's time to take back life. Guess what? before it's too late. So if you want to join us, go to lovelifecalifornia.org, lovelifecalifornia.org. I'd ask that you get the in-person tickets. Join us in person, but we'll have live stream tickets available as well for you across the country who might want to tune in. For groups of 10 or more, we do have special discount pricing as well. lovelifecalifornia.org. We hope to see you on January 29th, the last Saturday of January, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills for a full day conference. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. What are we to say about a country that is more angry over the abuse of beagles than babies? Hmm. What does this say about us as a people? Well, I would say that we're becoming more animal than human. We're becoming more animal than human being. We're very humane and clinical and scientific, but we're less human, <laughs> right? Our world is seemingly continuing to be led by those with calculators and with scientific and philosophical utopian theories about how to achieve perfection. Um, but these types of ideas have been suggested before, right? This is just sort of the recycled ideas of Darwinism, the survival of the fittest. We're just another form of animals. There's nothing unique or exceptional about the human being, the homo sapient, the person. We're just another form of life. We're just sort of like a smart ape. And there's nothing distinct or unique about the human individual. And so we have become more obsessed with protecting the rights, quote unquote, of animals than of human beings. Hence the unequal outrage and treatment 
of Fauci funding desecrating babies as opposed to desecrating puppies. If you disturb the egg of a bald eagle in America, you will be fined a quarter of a million dollars and sentenced up to two years in federal prison. At the end of 2020, Colorado residents voted overwhelmingly to protect abortions after 22 weeks, while simultaneously voting to protect the gray wolf and introduce more gray wolves into the state of Colorado. In 2019, the Washington Post celebrated the personhood of an orangutan who was granted legal personhood by a judge in 2015 and then moved to a Florida zoo in 2019. The Argentinian judge ruled that Sandra the ape is, quote, legally not an animal, but a non-human person and entitled to legal rights enjoyed by all people. She said, with that ruling, I wanted to tell society something new that animals are sentient beings, and that the first right they have is our obligation to respect them. This all fulfills G.K. Chesterton's prophetic line, that wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. Now, how is this so exactly? How is this so, that when we worship animals, we will inevitably sacrifice human beings? Well, it goes back to this argument that this Argentinian judge made in 2015 when she granted personhood to an orangutan who is now living in Florida and I guess is a person and therefore has more rights than our unborn posterity. What's the argument for animal rights? If you follow PETA and these, these kooky leftists who love animals more than unborn babies, what's the argument for animal rights? The argument is that animals are sentient and therefore deserve protection. Well, what's sentience? Sentience is the ability to feel or perceive. So the ability to feel pain, to, to feel things, maybe emotions, perceive certain things, okay? That would be what, what we mean when we say that someone is sentient. But sentience is not a good standard for human value. In fact, it's a very dangerous one because you're not sentient when you're, when you're in a coma, but it would still be wrong to kill you, wouldn't it? You might not be sentient in the physical sense if you have congenital analgesia, a condition in which you cannot feel any pain, but it would still be wrong to kill you. You might not be sentient if I knock you out with anesthesia and you don't feel pain, but it would still be wrong to kill you. So sentience is a very dangerous standard for human value, but they claim that some animals are persons with rights because they're sentient, but those same people say that unborn children are not persons because they're not sentient. Now, from a purely objective scientific perspective, the unborn child can feel pain by about 13 and a half weeks, and it's uncontested that the unborn child can feel the full range of human pain by 18 weeks. So have you ever heard of certain state-level pro-life bills? They've tried it at the federal level as well called um, Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Acts. Well, it's exactly what it says, right? Protecting unborn children once they can, they're capable of feeling pain. And those are usually around 20 weeks. But, it, but actually, there's scientific consensus that the unborn child can feel the full range of human pain by 18 or 19 weeks, meaning killing 18-week babies is as painful to them as it would be if I killed your infant or toddler or yourself. But Dr. Maureen Kondik, an associate professor of neurobiology and anatomy and an expert in fetal pain at the University of Utah, testified regarding fetuses' ability to feel pain at eight weeks gestation when the spinal circuitry for pain detection is established, meaning by 18 weeks, the inborn child responds to stimuli to some degree, meaning they're, they're capable of experiencing and feeling something to some degree by eight weeks, which I guess if you use the left's standard of sentience as the criteria for personhood and human value, then the right to life of children at, 18, at eight weeks should be protected. But the left doesn't believe that. They support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. So what does this lead to? That sentient monkeys deserve personhood, but sentience unborn babies don't. <laughs> These are the wicked conclusions of the premises of progressivism. But let's step back. We're trying to answer this question. How is Chesterton's line prophetic that wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice? How is this so? Let's step back and ask the question, what does it mean to be a person? 
because apparently some orangutans are being granted personhood and the left is crying for the personhood rights of beagles while denying personhood to human beings in the womb. What makes one a person? And what happens when animals are granted personhood rights where some human beings are not? Well, there's two different views, if I may simplify the debate, to the question of personhood. One view says that a person and personhood is the immediate, the immediate capacity for reason, moral agency, consciousness, self-consciousness, or self-awareness. Okay. Now, the problem with saying that personhood is the immediate capacity for certain cognitive abilities or exercising of a moral nature is that infants would therefore be denied personhood as well. Infants cannot immediately exercise moral agency or self-awareness. The most recent scientific studies suggest that infants don't realize self-awareness until months after birth, right? If you've had, let's say you have a two-month-old, right, and you're standing in the mirror with her cute little outfit on, right, your two-month-old baby Liz, baby Elizabeth, is not waving in the mirror saying, hi, hi, I'm baby Liz, I'm... I'm aware of myself as an autonomous individual and distinct human being that's never existed before and will never exist again. Thanks for the cute outfit, mom. Right, babies are not fully self-aware um, at that infant stage as well. So if they cannot immediately exercise moral agency and self-awareness and consciousness, which is the first view of personhood, then infants can be denied personhood, as can those in a coma. Okay, so that's a dangerous view, but that's the first view of what makes a person. The second view, which is the view of the conservative movement and the pro-life movement and the Judeo-Christian worldview, is that personhood is the natural ordering towards reason, moral agency, consciousness, and self-consciousness, which all human beings have in virtue of their humanity and will be realized in time. So in other words, we as human beings have an underlying nature, okay? Uh, this is called, also called the substance view of persons. We have an underlying nature that is rational. Man is the rational animal. And those capacities will be realized in time according to our nature, even if they can't immediately be exercised in the present. We just need time. For example, men don't reach their mental peak until their 40s. And while my wife is very excited about that because she's very uh, discouraged with my current mental state, I guess, <laughs> only joking, my point is, is that there are certain aspects of my mental development I cannot immediately exercise yet as well. But that doesn't mean I'm not a person now. Do you see what I mean? So we have this underlying nature of rationality, moral agency, and self-consciousness that will be realized given time, even if the preborn can't exercise it in any one given moment, just like the infant cannot exercise it in any one given moment. That's the other view of what makes a person. So according to this view, which I would say is the only view that can make sense of human equality and human rights, this means that all human beings are persons. All human beings are persons. However, there could also be non-human persons. Now, I know we're getting a little in the weeds here, but again, I talk to you all the time, right, about how the left says the unborn may be a human but not a person, so they separate the term human from person. Now, I say all humans are persons, okay, um, because every human being is a person. But there actually could be examples of non-human persons. Angels, for example. Angels are not human beings, are they? But are they persons? Yeah, they have a rational nature. They're persons. They're different than any other form of life, like animals or trees, right? So they're persons, but they're not humans. If there is extraterrestrial life, if there are aliens with a rational nature, they wouldn't be humans, but they'd be persons. Oh, by the way, God. God is a person, but he's not a human being. So those are two for sure examples, maybe three if you believe there's aliens, uh, that could be non-human persons. But every human being is a person. Do you see what I mean? Because of that second view of personhood, that we have an underlying rational nature and moral agency that separates us from every other form of life, and those capacities will be realized in time, even if they, they can't be immediately exercised now, which is the first more dangerous view of personhood. You must be able to immediately exercise the capacity for reason and moral agency. Okay, but animals are excluded from this definition of person. 
Animals are not persons. Attempting to dignify animals by granting them personhood doesn't elevate animals to the level of humans. It reduces humans to the level of animals because human beings are only exceptional in the very ways that we're not like animals. Human beings are only exceptional in the very ways that we're not like animals. A rational nature, right? This is why, by the way, that we don't, we don't bring up a tiger on charges of first-degree murder for mauling someone in the forest. <laughs> you don't hold animals to an, a moral accountability that you do the human being. Why? Because, well, the tiger might be sentient, right? But he's not a person, right? He doesn't understand right and wrong, so we don't hold him accountable for it. Only human beings have that capacity. So, wherever there is animal worship, there will be human sacrifice. Why? Because dignifying animals with rights that only human beings have does not elevate animals to the level of humans. It reduces humans to the level of animals by saying we're really no different than animals. So you just have a Darwinian, quote-unquote, leftist utopia of the survival of the fittest. And C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man, one of the most prophetic pieces of, of writing and one of the most prophetic writers in the last hundred years, actually addressed the claims of the animal rights movement, <laughs> their arguments. And he explained the consequences in elevating animals to the level of human beings, which only results in reducing humans to the level of animals because it grounds personhood and rights in things that come in varying degrees. Because sentience, rationality, all of these things come in varying degrees. And so if the animal now has some degree of sentience and you say sentience equals personhood, then those who are more sentient have a greater right to life and would be more of a person. So now might makes right. And those with any larger capacity and possession of sentience or other value-giving capacities would be more of a person. And here's what C.S. Lewis says responding to the animal rights movement. He says, if they establish through culture or law that human beings have no intrinsic dignity greater than that of any animal, the world would not be a better place for either humankind or animals. Instead, it would be a utilitarian nightmare in which the strong would destroy the weak, in which power-crazed leaders would destroy everyone who loved peace. Does that sound prophetic? In which the wealth of the world would be concentrated in the hands of a murderous few. Does that sound prophetic? <laughs> How much wealth has been reallocated to a few large, massive corporations in the last year and a half based off of these same debased views of personhood? <laughs> in which mercy would be unknown and the only virtue would be the ability to survive in which the only right would be the right to die. You're probably either weeping uh, or laughing in your car right now, aren't you? C.S. Lewis, once again, fulfilling his sovereign, I believe, <clears throat> duty given to him by God as a prophetic voice in the last hundred years. What is C.S. Lewis saying? When you bring humans to the level of animals, don't be surprised if human beings begin to be treated like animals. If you bring humans to the level of animals, don't be surprised when human beings begin to treat one another like animals. And then the elite class, those who are not being abused, will concentrate all of the wealth, decide who lives and who dies, destroy your peace, and the only virtue will be the virtue in the ability to survive. And isn't that the Darwinian theory? The survival of the fittest. Why? Because if the whole kingdom is an animal kingdom, then the only virtue is who can survive the longest. Who's the fittest of all? Well, I guess maybe mankind. We're just a little bit more fit than some of the animals. And now we are treating each other increasingly like animals. If we worship animals and their rights, 
while simultaneously worshipping the right to kill babies, we will one day wake up and find that there are no human rights, and Darwin's vision will reach its natural and horrific animal farm hysterical conclusion, the survival of the fittest, man murdering man by asserting power over the individual. As C.S. Lewis spells out that the only right would be the right to die, where the strong would destroy the weak and it would result in a utilitarian nightmare, right? Because the only value is in power because might makes right when human beings are reduced to the level and value of animals. But such a Darwinistic vision is not progressive, is it? While Fauci is the high priest of secular progressivism, claims that he's leading us into the progressive future, the worldview he is operating off of, which is the worldview of the entire liberal regime, which I, I use very broadly, is not progressive, but regressive, because it returns to the despotic chapters of human history, where the norm is man ruling over man, where the norm is power concentrated into the hands of a murderous few, where there are no natural rights of the individual, where there are no governments created to recognize and protect those rights. Such a Darwinistic worldview is not progressive at all, for it's not progressing anywhere, but it's regressing. And Calvin Coolidge, one of the most underrated presidents in, in American history, um, said in his 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence speech in Philadelphia on July 5th, 1926, this very point, that the secular progressive's worldview is not progressive but regressive. And here's what I want to wrap up the show on because I want you to recognize the, the consequences of bad ideas, right? Bad ideas do have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And what could be a worse, more debased bad idea than man is just another animal? And so we shouldn't be surprised when human beings behave like animals. And if human beings are like animals, then they have the same rights as animals. So what's wrong with murdering a million babies a year? And he points to the regressive nature of the claims of progressives. He says, if all men are created equal, that is final. <laughs> if they're endowed with their inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward. Backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. Those who wish to proceed in that direction cannot lay claim to progress. They are reactionary. Their ideas are not more modern, but more ancient than those of the revolutionary fathers. In other words, the secular progressive movement today, which functions off of Darwinism and body self-dualism, believes the same historically dangerous ideas of any murderous regime, which is that there is no such thing as intrinsic dignity or inalienable rights. And when natural rights get in the way of our political project, natural rights must be set aside. And nowhere is a greater example of that than abortion, right? The natural right to life of unborn children in the womb must be set aside on my journey towards sexual libertinism and on my journey towards orgasms without responsibilities. The separation of consent to sex from consent to pregnancy. I want the orgasms, I don't want the babies. I want sex, I don't want the responsibility. Because man is the is the fundamental arc of the moral universe. And our happiness is all that really matters and fulfilling every desire and aim we ever have. So natural rights must be set aside on the altar of abortion access, on the altar of secular progressivism, which claims that we can liberate ourselves even from human nature itself by saying men can be women and women can be men. But of course, such a conclusion is 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 intellectually untenable because if abortion is a state right, a right that comes from government, then the abortion advocate can't really complain if the state doesn't permit her an abortion. 
for the same government that can grant rights can take them away. However, if abortion is a natural right, a right that springs from our nature as human beings, then the abortion advocate had that right from the moment she began to exist, the moment of conception. So as Hadley Arcus points out, we are left with an amusing paradox. According to the logic of abortion advocates, unborn women do not, do not have a right to life, but they do have a right to an abortion because abortion is a natural right. What? This is crazy because how could human rights exist where the right to life doesn't? If you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. And Coolidge nails this point on the head, that the ideas and worldview and um, ex explanation of rights by the secular progressive is not more modern or progressive, but more regressive. And now our country is experiencing some of the more obvious consequences of how those Darwinistic and regressive ideas have taken root in the soil of our country, in the educational spheres, in the minds of our young people. And things happen gradually, then suddenly. This has been happening gradually for a long time. But now suddenly we're seeing, oh my gosh, I'm being fired because I won't take a quote-unquote experimental vaccine developed with and tested on aborted baby cell lines because the baby becomes the sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life, which is Fauci's belief, which is why he funds the experiments he does at the University of Pittsburgh. Now we're experiencing a lot of the loss of our other liberties, right? Why? Because the people who wield political power and have their hands on the reins of political power, largely in unaccountable bureaucratic institutions, believe that natural rights are a fiction and a myth. So therefore, where do rights come from? From them, from the government. And this is the belief of every communist regime, right? <laughs> is, that, is that we are God. And so we decide which rights you get and which rights we, you don't. And if we choose to remove them, tough on you. Power and wealth will be concentrated in the hands of a murderous few, to quote C.S. Lewis once again. That's the consequence of everything that's happening to us. We've abandoned the pre-born for 49 years, and now every other right that flows from that first and most important of all rights is beginning to deteriorate as well. So this is why Christians getting political is so important, right? This is the importance of Christians contending politically. Why? Because when you contend politically, you contend for ideas, right? Politics is the art of the possible, says Aristotle. Politics is how you discuss the possible ways to live together. And because we, the people, are the sovereign, we get to discuss how we want to live together by sending representatives into political positions to represent what we believe, which are ideas and worldview. So Christians used to contend politically because ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And it was always the Judeo-Christian worldview and only the Judeo-Christian worldview promulgated through culture and enshrined in politics that ensured human equality and human rights for all people. Name me one other religious system besides the Judeo-Christian worldview that believes that natural rights come from God and therefore no one else can give you those rights and no one else can take them away. And you have the right to assume your original liberty when anyone else tries to trot on your natural rights given to you by God. And what government has been instituted among men to recognize and protect those rights by separating powers and putting the most political power into the hands of the individual who can vote out the people he doesn't like. Name one other political system or one other religious system that has ensured that type of treatment and protection of human rights. Oh yeah, you can't. And who was behind those? Christians promulgating their ideas through the political system. We abdicated that and now we're experiencing the consequence of an animalistic, Darwinistic, might makes right religion. The religion of secular progressivism where Fauci serves as high priest. Maybe we can get political now, yeah? Maybe Ed Stetzer, Tim Keller, Lecrae, and all of these woke pastors, right, the, the evangelical elite, can now begin recognizing why it's so important to contend politically. We're not demanding our rights, we're exercising our responsibility. Steve Dace sums this up perfectly, and we'll end the show with this. Steve Dace of the Steve Dace Show over at Blaze TV, phenomenal thinker, phenomenal show. I encourage you to check it out. Um, he puts the cap on this by explaining how um, Fauci is really contending for that Joseph Mengel trophy. To sum it up, America's top public health expert created a mental health and early health screening crisis with lockdowns. He muzzles kindergartners like political prisoners. 
He supports governors who murder the elderly, right? Um, Cuomo in New York. He funds Island of Dr. Moreau experiments with murdered babies at the University of Pittsburgh. He actively worked to deny and ignore effective early treatments, which we know led to hundreds of thousands of people being killed because they could not find hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Could not find it. Couldn't find people who would prescribe it. He turned millions into big pharma lab rats and now tortures puppies with murder insects right out of a horror movie. Oh, and he may have actually funded and conducted the actual experimentation that created COVID-19, or at the very least could have created something like this or worse if it wasn't this specific virus. From the pit of hell, Joseph Mengel blushes. Well said, Steve Dace. These people masquerade as scientists in order to confuse the American public, and hide the reality of their more deeper and sinister agenda, which is being fulfilled through C.S. Lewis prophecy today, where might makes right, where power is held in the hands of a murderous few, in which the, in which the mercy would be unknown, and the only virtue would be the ability to survive, in which the only right would be the right to die. That is the utopian leftist vision, and it has a lot of consequences. Sadly, what the left doesn't realize is that ultimately, these types of movements always eat their own last. <laughs> and these ideas will come home to roost for the very people who are promulgating them in the first place. Because power is, or power does, to quote <laughs> Lyndon Baines Johnson, one of the worst presidents in American history, power is or power does. In other words, you either have power and you don't really do anything with it, um, or you have power and you do something about it and with it. And the left's been very good at using power um, politically to effective means and ends when they have it, okay? Um, and they will do anything to hold on to that power. The love of power is really the animating feature of human beings, isn't it? That's the story of, of human history politically. Um, and human beings will do anything to hold on to power, especially when they already have a lot of it, right? And so even as moderate Democrats and some members of the left are starting to wake up to what's happening around the country, and you've got people at school boards who aren't even conservative blasting their school boards, guess what? The left will come for them too eventually. The very people who are promulgating the worldview that made these realities possible possible in the first place. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Fauci is Joseph Mengel today. Will you wake up and contend against that and assume your original liberty and count the consequences that may come for standing for truth before it's too late? For the sake of your children, grandchildren, and the posterity of our unborn children in the womb, I hope you will. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give that show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to support this show financially, head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. See one of the perks and tiers. Support our show. It helps us expand the production value, guests that we can bring into the studio, and content we want to begin producing on the streets as well. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or go to sethgruber.com to sign up for my newsletter. Uh, to support me with a big announcement coming here in the near future and to see my speaking schedule um, if you want to hear me come speak live and local. Thanks so much. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs>